Crime Matters, in collaboration with Slaking Thirst's podcast, presents the Christian mythic narrative, The Deep History of the World. PrimeMatters.com is a groundbreaking project of educational outreach of the University of Mary, awakening the Catholic imaginative vision. Episode 30, The Second Coming of Christ and the Life of Eternity. A story, if it is to have meaning, needs a plot, a line of development. It needs to be heading somewhere, such that its conclusions can give significance to what happens along the way. Otherwise, it is only Macbeth's tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. God has shown us the broad outlines of humanity's often hidden drama, first through the history of the chosen people, through the Mosaic Law and the Hebrew Prophets, and then decisively by His revelation in Christ. He has told us where the story is headed and what will be required for its fulfillment. The Christian narrative thus addresses the future as well as the present and the past. Yet it is important especially in our time of secularized religions that claim to be able to predict the future pattern of this worldly events and to know the right side of history, that we be clear about just what sort of information and hints we have been given. God has revealed the future to us to the degree that it will help us deal confidently with present duties. He has told us what we need to know, not everything our eager curiosity would like to know. He has not made the future so certain and tidy that we can rest in a false security and relax the need for faith, nor abandon the responsibility of free beings to make choices that will have lasting consequences. Anyone who reads the words of Jesus attentively cannot fail to be impressed by how constantly he refers all present matters to a future reckoning. He entirely relativizes our current existence, insisting that the significance of what we now do can be known only in reference to its importance in the scale of eternal truths. Everything is to be judged by the light of that last day. All human acts and endeavors have meaning only insofar as they remain meaningful by the measure of eternity. This emphasis does not lessen the importance of our present life. If anything, it vastly increases that importance. But it robs the present of any particular significance in and of itself. According to the lens given by Jesus, the whole of our present life, all that we call the world and its activities, is to be seen, evaluated, and acted upon with eternity in view. What then have we been told about the future? Where is the great drama leading? First, we know that the current age, what we call the history of the world, will come to a decisive close, and that its closing will not be the end, but rather the beginning of the ultimate human story. We are still at the dawn of things, undergoing the birth pangs of a coming kingdom, when this age ends with the second coming of Christ, the preliminaries will be over, humanity will have come of age, and the real and lasting story will commence.
Second, we know that eternity does not simply mean a very, very long time. It's difficult for creatures whose medium of existence is time to grasp the idea of time itself as part of creation. But God is not bound by time. He is not a very old being. His existence is an eternal present outside of time. When humans are granted the promise of eternal life, it does not mean that they will exist in some future state for billions of years according to our current conception of things. The idea carries a certain horror with it. Life as we now experience it would be intolerable under such conditions, not only because of our present suffering, but because the essence of human life in this age is activity and progress toward a hoped-for goal. We are made to desire our full creation, and we yearn to be clothed in our final form. The promise of eternal life in an eternal kingdom is the fulfillment of that yearning, in a state of being beyond our current experience, and in some mysterious way, beyond time itself. Third, we know that all that we most hope for are intimations of beauty and ecstasy, our search for loving communion, our desire for justice, our yearning for life and our fear and humiliation in the face of death, our longing to be home, will have their true fulfillment. The renewed human race will dwell body and soul in a recreated world that will not simply destroy, but will complete our current existence. Fourth, we know that at the end of this preliminary age, this age of the testing of hearts, there will be a great judgment. At that event, all stories will be told truly. All that has lain in darkness will be brought to light. All lies will be exploded. All the works of the devil will be destroyed. And every heart, the deepest essence of each person, will be laid bare in the light of the all-searching gaze of God. It will then become clear who has been made worthy of the heavenly life graciously offered by God in Christ. The consequences of human freedom will be gathered in, and each immortal being will live in communion with what each has chosen to imitate, love, and become, whether divine or demonic. Lastly, we know that the life of the kingdom the breaking in of eternity upon time has already begun. Its full expression remains a future event, but already we possess a foretaste, a down payment of the life of eternity. Renewed humans, even while on earth, are in a sense living among the heavenly and timeless realities, not just symbolically, but really. Christ's coming and his rising from the dead have launched humanity into a new age in which heaven's eternal life is percolating among us and invisible and timeless realities are laid open to us. Just as Jesus has ascended bodily to the heavenly state and yet is still present on earth, so Christians are living amid the strictures of fallen humanity and of time and space and yet are present in heaven. The time will come when this in-between age, this age when the eternal kingdom is already but not yet established, will be closed, 
and the long-prepared wedding of God and humanity will be consummated. We have thus been given the deep plot of our story, such that we can live in reasoned hope for what is coming, but we should also be aware of what we have not been told. While we know that this age will someday come to an end, we have no idea when that end might be. We have explicitly not been told the day or the hour. Next year, 50 years from now, a hundred, 10,000. Because we know that the form of this world is passing away, we have been counseled to deal with it contingently and is not worthy of our deepest loves, an attitude necessary for all ages of history. But beyond that, we don't know. While we know that God is at work in human history, that his providence ultimately and mysteriously rules human destinies, we have little knowledge as to how that providence works in detail. We are in no position to make judgments about why certain events go the way they do, or how God will make his presence felt in human affairs. Apart from a few exceptions that had to do with the fortunes of his chosen people, God has kept these matters to himself. Additionally, we have not been told in any detail the course of God's kingdom on earth in the church, whether its influence will grow to overflowing with the passage of years, or wane to near disappearance, or fluctuate in different times and places. We know only that the gospel will be presented to all. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus purposely left his question unanswered. While we know of a promised life of joy and fulfillment in the coming age, we know very little about the specific details of eternity, which is hardly surprising given that it deals with a plane of existence beyond our current experience. And while we know that a judgment is coming, that this age and our brief lives here are a time of testing, we have not been given access to human hearts such that we can judge with certainty what the test results will be neither for ourselves nor for others. We have been given clear directions about good and evil behavior, about what characterizes the kingdom of heaven and what bears the mark of rebellion and corruption, but we are unable to divide the human race into the simply good and the simply evil, into those who will ultimately inherit the kingdom and those who will not. This is a judgment that only a just and all-knowing God can make. The effect of this knowledge of the future and of what we know and what we do not know keeps Christians both hopeful and humble in the midst of the complex and often puzzling course of their own lives and in the face of the possibilities and tragedies of broader world events and developments. Christians know that they and the world are in the care of God and that the story God has authored will come to its divinely ordained culmination. But they also know that God's providence does not overrule human freedom, and that much depends for the ultimate destiny of themselves and others on their choices and their actions. It thus comes about paradoxically that Christians, who though enmeshed in this world's life are not of this world, and whose hopes are lodged in a future beyond the confines of history, are in the best position to genuinely contribute to this world. Taught by Christ, 
they neither take the world's affairs too seriously on its own terms, nor abandon them as valueless, and so are free to serve a passing world and its inhabitants, even as their hearts have been won by a coming kingdom in which earth and heaven will be renewed. Meanwhile, all their hope and longing centers on the full arrival of that kingdom, as they pray daily, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.